Hey everyone, I'm Randy. And I'm Josh. And this is A New Approach, a podcast about challenging the status quo, embracing new ideas, and taking a new approach to age-old problems. Today is an extra special episode because for the first time, we get to introduce you to our technical co-founder, Derek Urban. Derek is an extremely talented developer, has a wealth of experience developing AI tools of his own, and brings a unique perspective and approach to using AI in our personal lives. Here, we talk about his background, how he uses AI throughout his life, a few of the powerful tools he has built from scratch, and some exciting updates to the development of our upcoming beta, which you can sign up for today. It's truly an honor to bring him on board, and I cannot wait for the world to see what this team is capable of. Josh, you ready? Let's get into it. All right, welcome back to a new approach, everybody, and good to see you, Josh. It's been a while. Good to see you, Randy. Glad to be back. I've been in the background producing, editing, hearing your lovely voice as always. We've got a third one to add to the mix because for the first time ever, welcome Derek to a new approach and Team Anu. I am ecstatic. I'm exuberant. I don't know what the right word is, but I, I can't keep it in. We are so incredibly excited that you're a part of the team and that we're able to introduce you to our audience today. Why don't we jump into your quick background and why you wanted to work with us for the next five to seven or longer? <laughs> uh, yeah, forever. I'm locked in. A marriage, hey? Uh, okay, so I'll try and keep this quick. University, third year, computer science. Company picked me up. They're like, you know what? This guy is, he's handsome. He's charming. He knows what he's doing. And... I was expecting through the stories I've heard from some of my friends who have taken on internships that my hand would be held through this. That was not the case. I got thrown into the deep end, picked up some pretty major responsibilities and, and some tasks within the company, and then thought to myself, why don't I try and apply this potential to bigger projects and to bigger sites, aim for some higher goals. And I started looking into entrepreneurship and developing some own projects and tools that I'd be using in my day-to-day -day life. And then that's where I stumbled upon Y Combinator, looking for other co-founders who had a technical background, because the problem I was facing is I feel like I have a lot of potential. I've learned a lot of things in university and through my practical professional experience, but I don't know where to apply it or how to apply it in the best way. I don't have a problem to solve. That's where I met up with these two lovely people. And they have a problem that I can relate to personally that I think would be exciting to professionally work on. And here we are today. Yeah, we brought you on primarily as a therapist and then <laughs> also as a technical co-founder. We love your background. You have such a unique perspective on the problem that Josh and I and millions of other people have been struggling with for far too long. And one of the things that we loved about you was that you felt the same way we did about the tech exists to not have to deal with these problems anymore. Why have we gone on for decades and decades pretending, well, this isn't something that can be solved when somebody needs to finally take a crack at doing so? And the fact that you did get thrown in, we thought was a great fit with working at yet another startup. So we are super excited. And honestly, the nice voice is helpful. When we hopped on our first call, I was like, damn, this guy's got a nice voice. I'm we not going to lie. Podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm just the show pony. They, they, Precisely. Yeah. Good looking, good voice, know some tech. What more do you need? Yeah, all I'm going to say is looks gets you far, guys. Finding a new way to uh, get to where you want to go. You just got another percent equity. It's like hungry, hungry hippos. <laughs> yeah, every time you use the word, we get you another half percent. <laughs> I would actually really love to hear about some of the challenges that you've had maintaining your first professional roles while also your family responsibilities. Do you feel like you had a lack of support system 
or that there was a gap in your life that you think could be filled with the, the solution that we're bringing to the market? That's a deep question. I think I have a very sort of, I don't know if it's unique. This, this is a question I've been attempting to pursue and to find an answer to, but throughout the vast majority of my life, I always feel as though I've been on this secluded island by myself, right? And although there are visitors and boats that pass by on this island, I'm the only one who really resides there. And because of that, there's this sort of underlying lingering isolation and alienation from everyone and everything around me. And that's always driven me to pursue these different forms of connection and try and grow in different aspects of my life. How that kind of manifested in university is because I'm transitioning out of high school and I need to find like a new friend group, right? I really had to develop some of my social skills and, and how yeah. to communicate, but then also learn how to better apply myself. So for example, in high school, not to brag, but it was very easy for me to get 90s. Oh my gosh. Top sure. class. Oof, too easy, right? And then university, I got smacked down to my knees. And so there's the complex web of issues that we all are trying to face and to resolve at any given moment in time. And for my specific concoction, it was this struggle from having a lot of difficulties in my life to be easy, except for that one immovable obstacle, which is that underlying lingering of isolation and alienation and really struggling to try and make these yeah. really deep connections with people. And then it's been pretty interesting because the way that's manifested in my life personally is this perfectionist mm. uh, philosophy and perspective on all of things where the only way to gain my internal validation is to do everything perfectly because then maybe if I can perfect every specific aspect of my life, that's what will be the prerequisite and the condition for me to, to like to develop this deep connection with the people around me and yeah. the environment and the community and, and remove that lingering alienation and isolation, right? It's been pretty interesting. And I've actually used ChatGPT and AI tools just by myself asking it some of these questions and seeing what it yeah. comes up with and trying to provide it context, et cetera, et cetera. And in those moments where the yet again special concoction of all your problems kind of align and it feels like the world's falling apart and you're lost and you're confused and you don't have the energy to try and find out a solution or, or search for some kind of better habit to incorporate or a activity to do to improve the well-being of your life i found myself turning to ai and i think that ai can be a very powerful personalized tool to solve some of those issues where it can understand that highly personal concoction of all your problems and understand your history and where you're currently at and where to go and provide a little bit of that navigation and directions, your life is a little less confusing and a little less hard. So first of all, thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing that. But also, why not continue yeah, to use ChatGPT? Why join a team that's trying to take a different approach to this? Why weren't the current AI tools on the market meeting that need for you? So there's this is a double barrel shotgun in terms of my motivations. The first barrel goes into the very strong desire and passion to apply myself to a given problem and attempting to fulfill my potential in the real world and bring something into reality that I can be proud of and really let my talents shine yeah. through. So that's the first barrel. The second one is that sometimes you don't even know um, exactly what problem it is you're trying to solve. So with the current AI tools on the market, it's very hard for you to perfectly articulate and set up the context for the AI to work with to then figure out some of your problems and answer some of these quandaries and these queries that you have about yourself. 
And I think that a news system and architecture is set up in such a way that you don't have to constantly be telling this artificial intelligence, hey, this is who I am, and hey, this is my story, and hey, these are these deep, complicated problems that I have in my life. Because first off, sometimes you don't even know those deep, complicated problems. And second off, it's very hard to compile all of that context for every given question and for every given problem. It's maintaining that congruence with your history and your problems in the AI tools context itself and aligning that digital and personal understanding and then collaborating on something together, which I think is very hard to pull off. And I think because it's very hard to pull off, you don't see it in the current tools out there today. Yeah. And they're also, they, they don't feel like they've been designed for that, which is totally fine. That's okay. We don't expect something like ChatGPT to suddenly become the world's best advisor unless you are an expert at in every single interaction, giving it all the context it needs at exactly the right time and using exactly the right language for that. It just becomes an unrealistic expectation. And there's also the reality that you're just throwing all of that into an LLM, which is, of course, ripe for hallucination. You're expecting the LLM or the AI to do the brute force of the work. And the reality is that's not what LLMs are necessarily best suited for. And our approach is use the LLM for what it's good at, which is the communication and really highly personalized communication. But the actual expertise and the synthesis of information in a way that's going to be specific to you, that doesn't necessarily have to be AI. That's something that Josh and I talk about a lot. Is AI actually the right way to do this? Or is there another tool that's faster, cheaper, and gets you the same thing? It just doesn't sound quite as buzzwordy. Yeah, I completely agree on that. And we've talked in episodes before about why big businesses don't necessarily do personalization and customization between individuals because it's not really scalable. It's very easy for you to have painting a broad brush on a blank canvas on just a set of tools that you think are universally allowed and can be created, but not necessarily hitting all touch points. They would rather hit 50% of the market of what their needs is than 99% on a small bunch. So I think that's where we can counter position on helping people in a holistic, customizable way of developing these tools that are lacking within the market. Now, Derek, you touched a lot about the technical how hard it is on a technical side. Can you give some more information on what is technically needed for a startup to actually create these customizable tools to help individuals like you, like me, like our users? Yeah, so I, I just wanted to touch on one quick thing before that, and then I'll get into it. And it's something that Randy mentioned, which is these tools typically are being set up right now to give you the solution, to give you the answer. And it's very hard to make guarantees because these are non-predictable systems. And I think having the understanding that we're not trying to solve all your problems, but we're trying to encourage the conversation around them, right? So we're not going to tell you exactly what's wrong, but we might be able to give you some inspiration and lead a conversation that will explore some potential answers or a little bit more depth into the problem itself in a very abstract and generic way. But when it comes to these personalized systems, it's very hard to maintain that personalization. And there's a different few approaches you can do this. The sort of hyped up approach uh, a few years ago was fine tuning and, and training custom models, etc. And the problem that people are facing with that is, well, it takes a lot of time to train them, depending on the scale, of course. And if you have, let's say, 1,500 users, 
it's very challenging to have 1,500 different models, each one trained for each user on every aspect of its life. It's unrealistic for the current um, scale and the current, it's just cost of operating these. Exactly. And that might be the case where in the future, there's some infrastructure set up where that is the case. And each one of us do have our own personal models and we're carrying around on our phones. And But I don't think that's reasonable right now. And so there's some strategies around that, right? One of them is to use retrieval augmented generation, where instead of the model's behavior itself understanding your life, you're actually providing a specific system in place for one AI model to go and fetch and store that information. And then there's another one, which is pretty, pretty cool, where you can actually grab slices of an AI model's internal neural network to modify its outcomes and its behaviors. So that way, instead of you having 1,500 personally trained AI models for each one of your users, you can actually grab 1,500 sort of mini model slices that you can then inject into a larger model, which will alter the way that it, it navigates through its neurons when it's processing specific queries. So that's where the most reasonable approach is to figure out some kind of architecture and system and, and almost pipeline in place where you can have a conversation with this AI model. And it intelligently in the background is keeping track of key bits of information that you illuminated on in terms of your life, and then recall upon that in an intelligent way to help provide the context it needs to answer specific queries and, and synthesize responses. So that's the way that the world's going at the moment. And it feels like it's evolving every day. I'm going to be talking to some MBA students about the challenges of integrating AI into their business operations. And I had originally built this presentation a couple of weeks back. And already in that time, I have seen research papers being posted on LinkedIn that solve some of the challenges that I was talking about. It's just crazy how quickly this field is evolving. It's, it's the new space race. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I think another really important thing to note too is that it's still such a bubble. When I talk to people about Anu and I try to say, are, are you familiar with ChatGPT? What is your current understanding of AI? And even if we have a 30 second conversation, they're like, what? We're there already? And I'm like, have you been living under a rock? <laughs> but the reality is, is not only are people not aware of just how fast this is progressing, but they don't understand how to incorporate this into their life, which worries me because I do think that future success is going to be in large part determined on how well you're able to incorporate and empower yourself with these types of tools. And if we only focus on what your external or professional capabilities are, and we don't take the time to take a step back and try to level up ourselves as people in areas that are the most important that affect everything else, then I, I worry about what that future looks like. That brings me to the question of what do you think the disconnect is between these AI tech companies and the user base? Because there's over 100 million users on open AI using ChatGPT, but most of them are on like this novice mode. So there's this disconnect between being able to use it for everyday life and having integration and just playing around with it to figure out some test answers. But where do you think there's a almost like a disconnect between educating different users on how to use this to the fullest extent to your advantages in life? There's a few points that I think all play into one another, but I think the overarching theme is that nobody knows how to actually explain what these AI things can do. And because there's different levels to it, right? There's the people who are actually working on these technologies and they understand it at a very low level and they understand, okay, 
in order to make this map and have these many parameters, this is exactly what it entails. And these are how many nodes. And this is the theoretical limitations of the model, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's higher levels where it's, oh yeah, okay, you can train an AI to learn some behavior or to do something and it can generate text and it can generate images and now it's starting to generate videos. And nobody can clearly define the exact limitations. And in a technological space, that's never really happened before. Obviously it's been, AI has been a thing for forever, but with the rapid explosion and all these AI tools, the exact limitations and capabilities are very hard to define. And I think because of that, getting that message across to other people is a little bit challenging. And I think because it's so analogous to the question of what are you capable of or what am I capable of? It's okay, I can do this and this, but you can't clearly define the exact limitations with the broad spectrum of all the possibilities. And due to that analogous representation where, okay, now we're starting to treat these AI models as almost as if they're human. There's the, these own entities and some of the characteristics of humans also apply to these AI models. I think that's also very scary for a lot of people. And I think that fear is also a limiting factor where sometimes they don't want to explore some of these. It could be due to the fear or to the fact that they don't clearly understand exactly what it's capable of or how it's going to change. But in terms of switching over their life onto a lot of these platforms, if you've been living on Google Sheets and Google Docs and, and Google Slides, et cetera, and now there's an AI tool that is, we'll generate all that for you. And you're like, okay, first off, how true really is that? And maybe I'll try it out. But there's always that initial cost of energy to make that conversion and to try out something new. Instead of just going back to the, I could fiddle with this for three days and maybe it'll work, but I have to get this done in three days and I'd rather just stick with what I know. I think that's also a factor at play. And then also the fact that there's so many, right? There's so many new tools because the barrier of entry is so low. There's a new AI tool every minute, most likely. Having so much choice and not knowing exactly which one to choose or why. I think there's a lot of factors at play, but those are all assuming that you are actually in this sphere of knowledge and you're actually paying attention and you actually understand, oh, this is a big development and this is why, or this is what it can do and, and this is why. For example, some of the people and friends I've been talking to who aren't in university, I bring up ChatGPT, I bring up what it's capable of, I talk about some of the side projects I'm working on or how I'm trying to apply it in my own life, and they are jaw-dropping astounded. They're like, how is that even possible? And then they, of course, ramble on about how it's going to take their job and all the standard stereotypical concerns. But there's such a vast level of ignorance on this specific subject and its capabilities that I think you're trying to attack this battle on so many fronts. And one of them is that, okay, educated, making sure that people are informed about what it can do and how can it apply, uh, but then also trying to clearly define those boundaries of what it can actually do and how it can actually apply. Um, and, and I think that's very tricky to manage. And when it comes to this ChatGPT, a lot of people are using 3.5 and they're like, yeah, I use it and it's good enough, but it's not good enough to do X, Y, or Z. And then, for example, my siblings this last week, I've been giving them access to my GPT Plus account, and they've been going on there and playing around with things. And they are now firm believers. They're like, oh my gosh, this is absolutely outstanding. I didn't know it could do this. This is crazy. I think at the moment, because the infrastructure and financial viability of these models is at a widespread, people are only allowed to use these models that aren't as capable. And then the people who are power users who are really invested and are very knowledgeable about it are using the more premium versions of the model and really reaping the benefits. So 
I think as AI progresses and as information spreads in terms of this area, you're going to see more of those more powerful models being in the hands of more and more people. And I think that's going to be the real explosion where you're seeing models like GPT-4, where you're seeing models like Google's Gemini in the hands of everyday people, where it's financially viable for them and they understand it and have had an opportunity to play around with it more, when they can really start thinking critically about how they can apply it to different facets of their life and I think that's when the real explosion is going to be because there's some of us who have already felt that explosion in our own lives, but we've also been the ones who have put up the financial cost or the energy ahead of time to experience it. When you're talking about the inherent ignorance that people usually have on AI, do you think it's maybe a media and marketing issue and how they castigate AI as this big bag villain? Because when I'm looking at past technologies that really disrupted things, like going from a Nokia flip phone to an iPhone, no one talked about the iPhone being the killer of fax machines, of the computer, of all these different technologies that we had to use before, of landlines itself. They just thought this is a really cool thing that people want. And there were so many early adopters and users onto it, as opposed to OpenAI, where there's 100 million users, yeah, using it, but the auspice of it is this is the most dangerous thing in the world. This is going to take my job. This is going to kill everything that I'm doing as a blue collar, white collar worker, or an average individual working my nine to five job. Do you think really it's a marketing issue that media has put on AI itself? Or is it AI's responsibility to try and negate some of that tension that there is between new users and the, this new technology that we're using right now? I think it's obviously there's levels to both. But I do believe that the marketing narrative historically around AI and what it's capable of plays a part into the underlying feeling that people have and the intuitive, I don't know, expectation of, of what they're going to get. So, for example, when I talked about quantifying and clearly defining the limitations and capabilities of these models, it's very tricky, right? And when the model is doing something it's supposed to do, uh, it's not as often that you hear, oh, this model did this or it can do that, uh, unless you're explicitly looking for it. But if you want to find news about how AI is scary and how it's bad and how it could figure out people's identity with an 80% match based off of three Twitter posts or whatever, the negative capabilities of it are very easy to quantify and build out a story around versus the promising capabilities. And Obviously, we we all know that negative emotion sells faster and better than positive emotion. So I think that can play into it. But because I think I have this curiosity within me where I'm like, okay, but why is it going to take everyone's jobs? Or why is this really a bad thing? Or how does this really play out? I think that curiosity squashes some of those intuitive expectations about what AI is and what it can do. And I don't know how exactly shared that is. So I think it's hard to answer that question from a different perspective. But in terms of the other part with these new technologies in that transition phase, it's very hard to measure. Of course, I'm not an expert on this. These are just my intuitive thoughts on it. But I would say in terms of the vast majority of it, I think it is perhaps, I, I don't know if failure is the right word, but the impression that people have had about AI over the last decade. I think that's the biggest part of play because that's what's reached the most people and reached the most years. 
Do you think it's been cast scarier than any other new technologies? Like, I, I'm almost imagining in history's time, like the invention of the car, where blacksmiths going crazy about what is this Model T rolling around <laughs> in the dirt roads, or uh, like the creation of the internet, where people and newspapers really scared about, was there some propaganda against the internet that was saying, oh man, this is the worst thing ever, it's going to kill newspaper jobs. Do you think that over time that this is actually a pattern with new technology, that it gets more negative hate than positive outcomes? Or has it increased more with AI specifically as this is the absolute worst thing and it's gotten more negative press and attention than any other technology ever before? I think initially it's always going to get more hate than it is praise. And I think that because the volume of praise historically over time massively and significantly outweighs the fear and hate that when we look back on things historically we look back on them with things like praise where it's oh wow the printing press or oh wow the first vehicle the first plane wow what a marvel and at the time it might have been i never lived through these moments so it's hard to say with certainty but of course <laughs> what you're not unfortunately years old. <laughs> not i don't know if you can you know tell by my voice or my age or logic and pragmatism but yeah i, I think that is a historical trend but the warning cries are 100% real. And as we start to flush out more of these systems and boundaries and limitations and security, et cetera, et cetera, I think the same thing's going to happen where we're going to look back on this and be like, wow, why were we so worried about AI? I don't have to go to my nine to five living in a concrete box the entire time and I get to be more creative. So what do you feel like our responsibilities are, especially as a, a human-focused AI tech startup. How do you see our responsibilities to communicate the value and the realities to everyday people and to shift that narrative? I think the first thing is to, it's on brand based off of my talks with both of you historically about the awareness and humility when it comes to exactly it is what we're trying to do and the technologies involved. But we have to take on our own responsibility of ensuring that with the motives and the capabilities in our specific niche that those don't get away from us. So for example, if ye, we have a model that's personalized and its main fine tuning objective is to help someone pursue their goals, we try to uphold some kind of moral and ethical standard and ensuring that we don't get anywhere close to these drastic outcomes. And I think these are very serious concerns and worries for someone. And our responsibility in terms of communicating that is to have spoken the words that have fallen on the practices we have. So if we have all that information and we've built out the guardrails and we can say with confidence, yes, this is something that's going to help you. And this is something that we've gone to the most extreme lengths to ensure is safe and falls within moral and ethical guidelines, that comes first, the action comes first before the responsibility of communicating, I think. Yeah, I, I think we couldn't agree more. And that's that perspective of yours is part of uh, the reason why you're part of the team now is because Josh and I talk about this. We're an AI, we're a startup, we have to move really fast. But I see so many other teams rushing in to getting a product out on the market Without, I think, taking the proper time to take a step back and say, wait a second, do you understand the new problems that you might cause or accidentally make worse by trying to solve the specific problem? And have you 
have you worked with the experts? Have you taken the time to have those conversations and develop that deep understanding of how you can make sure that doesn't happen? I would much rather get to market a little bit later, knowing that we've done everything to ensure that we've developed this responsibly, than getting something out on the market fast and hot without worrying about the real world downstream domino effect that we're going to have on regular people's lives who are already afraid of or don't fully understand the power of artificial intelligence. 100%. And of course, there's different levels of that security. So I think at a model level, there's a lot of systems in place already. But I think because we're building on those shoulders of those giants, we still have to ensure that we do our part as well. Of course. Now, I want to hear more about your background We've talked about this bubble a little bit. How do you feel like your colleagues, your fellow friends and family that are around your age have been attempting to solve the types of problems that we're addressing with Anu in their daily lives? And where is the disconnect there? How do you feel like what we're bringing to market can maybe finally be uh, a different approach? I think in order to find a new approach, It's hard to say, right? Because I don't know every family out there and I can only speak off my experiences and and the people that I've been able to talk very deeply and connect about their problems, right? And typically that's been my siblings and some of my close friends. But when it comes to my siblings, I think a lot of people are, are really stuck and lost and confused. The pace of life is moving so fast that it's so hard to keep up. And oftentimes the best thing is to just be distracted on your phone or play games and just sit in one spot. And Obviously, there's a lot of friction sitting in one place and internal discomfort, et cetera, et cetera. But I think due to this mismatch in pace, right, that's where a lot of these problems uh, arise. And the way I've seen that manifest is where there's this desire for change, but there's this lack, also this lack of energy or, or this confusion, because when they think of the change they want to make, what happens is it's so monumental that it seems like so much effort. Right. And that's when I was I was talking before this started about how I was building out some workout plans and physical goals for my siblings. So that way they didn't have to focus on being able to do a pull up. All they just had to focus on was be able to do one push up a day and then three push ups a day and then 10 push ups a day and these small incremental improvements and building up to that goal. And the trick is that because this pace of modern day life is moving so fast that when you stagnate just a little bit, now the mountain that you're trying to get to is even farther away. And so it gets ever more difficult as life moves on because the more you stay stagnant in one spot, the harder and harder it is to climb that mountain and to pursue that goal. So I think that Anu can solve at least one part of that problem, which is that confusion and and some of the anxiety around the first step to take or even just having that conversation. Sometimes it's very awkward to have a conversation and, and go to uh, your sibling or to your dad or to someone you trust. Even though you love them, there's still those preconceived notions of how they'll react and all the anxiety about X, Y, and Z because you're talking to a real person and, and those impressions matter to you, right? So I think it can also take away that, which will definitely lower the upfront cost of energy, energy expenditure to have those conversations that you know, could be very valuable in your life. Yeah. Even if you have someone to go to, to find support, perhaps they don't have expertise. Or if you have someone that has expertise, they're not necessarily accessible 24 seven. And the modern day reality is for you to keep up, for you to not be stagnant, you have to move so quickly. And 
if you just tackle one small part of something, you may not have put the right structures in place to actually get you there because we have to start taking a more holistic approach to things. And that's definitely something that we'll keep in mind. As we approach the end of the year with the holidays and family events and professional and educational responsibilities that you have to close out before the end of the year, it becomes extremely difficult to find time and motivation to think about what's coming next. But the best way to set yourself up for success is to start the year before. And I suppose you can go out and get a calendar or a planner and a habit tracker and play around with some new fitness or nutritional applications and talk to colleagues or mentors about what you want your goals to be. Or you could just join the waitlist for Anu. Anu is an advanced personal growth system that accelerates your growth by pairing you with an insightful companion and proactive advisor to give you both the tools and support you need to make 2024 your best year yet. Sign up today at anu.ai or just hit the link in the description. So Derek, how have you specifically used AI in your either your personal or your professional life and what type of impact has it had on you or the people around you? It started off with just playing around with it and, and trying to figure out exactly how it can help me. That mainly took the form of, I don't want to have to research .NET documentation. How do I implement this in .NET, which was the framework I was working on, working with at the internship. And then that slowly graduated into other more complicated and sophisticated requirements where now it wasn't just how do I implement this one thing, but how do I maybe refactor or revise this code? Or how do I explain this code to someone who isn't technical? And in that playfulness and really getting my hands on in terms of what it's capable of, I started opening my eyes to different possible applications of this technology. So the main form that it took where I was actually dedicating a lot of time and energy into applying this technology into something I wasn't necessarily familiar with was a tool that I built for both of my brothers called Fantasy Factory. And both of my brothers are into role play and they really like generating out these deep, rich backgrounds behind their characters and interactions with other characters. And maybe they find this one item and they wanted to have a long, detailed history. And coming up with a lot of that information takes a lot of mental energy and doing that all the time can be very strenuous. So the goal behind Fantasy Factory was that you can define these templates and these outlines for people. And I wanted to describe the behavior, the appearance, the background, the history, the relationships, the skills, the traits, blah, blah, blah. And then with the click of a button, you could then generate all of that and you could provide it guidance. Maybe I want a cunning character who's wearing class A outfits and more of a James Bond-esque and click generate and it'll generate out a name and all of that information. And it was creating this enabling effect for them to still display their creativity without having to build out all the scaffolding around it. And even though AI was doing a lot of the groundwork, they were still the one in control in terms of directing it. Okay, I like maybe the traits and the appearance, but I just want you to regenerate the relationships and the history. Click of a button, regenerate this trait, regenerate this history, regenerate X, Y, or Z, right? Okay, I like X, Y, and Z, but I want this to be a little bit dark. I want it to have a, a more of a tragic backstory. And providing those tools and enabling it for them so that they could then carry out these role play scenarios with higher fidelity, higher creativity, and really immersing other people into it as well. So that was like the first thing. And then the second thing was for myself, which was Study Spark. And the first sort of 
role that it took on was for me to very quickly ask questions about all of the academic content for one of my classes. So I could up to upload lecture slides and documents X, Y, and Z, and then just ask questions to it. And that was a very big challenge because that specific behavior of uploading documents and then intelligently retrieving information about those documents and then compiling some kind of response and, and synthesizing response based off that information is pretty tricky. It's easy, but it's hard to do well. And in a lot of companies nowadays, and actually even in OpenAI's own assistance API, is that I wouldn't, I don't want to call it naive, but it's not as intelligent as it could be. And the challenge with StudySpark was figuring out how we can index and process these documents in a way to make the retrieval of that information as efficiently as possible. But then also when we're querying that information to decompose and break down the query, because we try to make the assumption that the user doesn't know what they want, and we have to step in and try and take that extra step where if they're asking, okay, here's a multiple choice question with X, Y, and Z, which one's the best answer? If in a situation like that, we might not want to embed that entire query and just pass that off to the database because we're probably going to get something that isn't relevant. And so what we do is we decompose the query, break it down into the different parts. Okay, question A touches on this, question B touches on this, question C touches on this, question D or, or answer A, B, and C touches on this and this, the question touches on this and this. These are the different keywords, the different highlights. Let's go and try and find all the relevant information we can on that, then re-rank them based on relevance, then synthesize the response and return it back to the user. And through that process, there was so much research being done into the industry standards for retrieval augmented generation and so forth and so on. So I'm very proud of that. And I'm happy enough to say that it was actually intelligent in the way that it was retrieving information and synthesizing responses. It wasn't just looking for similarities, it was looking for relevance, which is something that the industry is desperately after at the moment. So that plunged me into a lot of these other AI technologies when I was looking into that research and trying to figure out, okay, where is the experimental edge of where we are in this AI space? What are the uh, researchers touching on and looking into and what's coming out and X, Y, and Z? And then what I came to at the end of the day was, okay, I know what it takes to now build out this highly specific situation or build up this highly advanced and intelligent AI pipeline for a very specific situation, but trying to do that for everyone's needs is going to be very challenging. So in terms of incorporating AI into the lives of my family and my friends, that's not the best approach to go to them and be like, oh, what's your problem? Let me spend three weeks to build a highly personalized AI system right. to make that happen. For mm -hmm. them, it's they're still not at state phase one, two, and three in terms of actually playing with it, yeah. understanding its limitations and testing it. So I was, yeah. like I touched on earlier, giving them access to my Plus account so they could access GPT-4 and realize, wow, it can generate images and it can search the web and it can do this and that. And that's so you know amazing and remarkable. And the feedback I've gotten from those experiences and then been able to follow it up with, oh, you think that's cool? This research article that just came out shows that they can right. do this. And then using the different knowledge that I've gathered on that experience and on that adventure to then inform them. They're like, really? That's amazing. So I think I have a very biased experience with it because it's been nothing but positive and uplifting with my own life and with the people around me. But yeah. I am nothing but hopeful for the future based off of the feedback I've gotten, based off the way I've seen it influence my brothers and my family and my friends' lives. Like when you introduce your brother 
to something and then he comes back to you and he's look at what I've made using this. I know nothing about coding, but I made this and it can do this and the passion inspiration in their voice. Mm -hmm. It's just so heartwhelming. And there's been so many experiences like that, which is also one of the motivations why I want to join Canoe and bring something like this to more and more people. So that way I can share that experience as many times as possible. Yeah. There's a couple aspects of that that I really love that I find super interesting as well. The first one is that while so many people went instantly to productivity, your first thing was like, how can I maximize my creativity for this? How can I use this as a creative companion or a creative partner? That I think is a pretty unique approach. And the other aspect of that is for your very second project, it was about identifying a specific problem that you knew that you had that because of your prior experience, you realized a variety of different AI mechanisms could help be a solution to. And now you're looking for the next step, which is, okay, I'm, I think, taking this creative kind of unique perspective into this, deeply learning how we can start with a problem and then design a solution where AI truly empowers what it is that I'm trying to do, not just slapping a layer of AI on there for shits and giggles. And then... How do we integrate this into everybody's life in a way that maximizes what they need it for? That one, two, three punch is, is fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Derek, thank you so much for spending the time today, for meeting our audience. It's a pleasure to have you on a new approach and more importantly, to have Definitely. you on board. And we're going to do some incredible stuff. Thank you. Yeah, it's been an absolutely lovely conversation. I, great experience to share my perspective and, and then a little bit of an introduction to myself and, and then also to the listeners. So very excited for what's coming ahead. We're going to make some pretty awesome stuff together. Again, we are so excited to introduce Derek to everyone. He's going to be an incredible asset to the team and our customers, and we cannot wait to show you what we've all been up to. It's going to be a busy 2024. That's for sure. All right, team. Should we get back to work? Yeah, I think so. Wait, this wasn't work? Wait, am I getting paid for this? I just talked. An hour straight.